Welcome to the Nerd Stalgic Podcast with your host, the Ginger Sorry about that, folks. As you can tell, I'm in a very happy mood, a very Christmassy sort of mood. It's Christmas. I love it. It's my favourite time of the year. And as it's been my favourite time of the year, I'm going to talk about something that is one of also a very Christmassy sort of topic, but also one of my favourite things um, in the world, one of my favourite series in books, movies. Um, and it's the Chronicles of Narnia. But before I get to that, and on the introduction, where am I? Sorry, I, I got really, really excited. I forgot about the introduction. Um, I am Luke, your host of the Nerd Stagic Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're all good. Um, yeah, I'm talking about Chronicles of Narnia all this, all this month, really. And it's going to be an absolute joy. I can't wait to take you guys on the journey with me. But before we get into all that, I've got to do some of a bit of business first. So thank you to World of Books for sponsoring this episode, for sponsoring this show. Um, within doing so, they'll give me a promo code to get you 10% off any and all purchases on their checkout using the code NERDY10. That's N-E-R-D-Y, all higher case, uh, 10. At checkout to save you 10% off. Listen, it's a cost of living crisis at the moment, especially here in the, in the UK. Uh, a lot of people are struggling. Things are getting more expensive. Save yourself some money. Uh, when it comes to spending for gifts for people, if you've got somebody in your life who loves um, video games or who loves vinyl, or who loves books, go to World of Books. Check out their deals. I've always got deals on. You're saving books from landfill and you're saving money at the same time. So use my code NERDY10 at checkout. Save yourself some money this holiday season and help yourself out, help and just help the environment out, you know, so it's a win-lose, so, you, so it's a win-win, so you save money, and the environment gets saved at the same time, all right, sounds like a good plan to me, also, if you are not follow, if you're not yet, please do follow me on Twitter, at nerdstagic uh, underscore pod on Twitter, um, and if you listen to this on YouTube and you haven't done so yet, or if you're not listening to this on YouTube and haven't done so yet, please do follow me on YouTube, I'm currently at 52 subscribers as of recording this which is pretty good considering all i do is talk to myself um i don't do any videos so you know 52 subscribers is pretty impressive but i'm hoping to get to 55 to 60 hopefully before the end of this month the end of the year we will see if i can actually do that fingers crossed um but yeah so make sure you subscribe to me and like follow and share and all that jazz on youtube and yeah that is all the business side done so Today, we're going to be talking about the Chronicles of Narnia books. There's about seven books in the series. Um, don't worry, this ain't going to be a very, very long episode. I do promise you that. I know I'm going to be talking about seven books here. I know I always say it ain't going to be a long one, and it does end up being, you know, over an hour. I do apologize for that. But I just tend to talk, and especially when I, there's something I'm really, I really love and I'm passionate about. You know, I, I will talk about it for ages. I just hope that it's what I'm saying is actually decent. I'm not actually just, you know, blabbing. Um, you know, I'm not just waffling on. Um, but before we get on to the books, I just do want a quick thing to say, give you a bit of a story time about my love of the Chronicles of Narnia books. I, I, I love these. I didn't read them really till, you know, quite late in life. I'll say late in life. It makes it sound like I'm a really old man. Um Late in life for me up until this point, you go, that sounds better. Um, I think it was a year or two ago over lockdown that I actually had this box set and it was for ages. A friend of mine bought it me um, and it was just sat there collecting dust because 
I am an avid reader. I've read 800 plus books. You know, I've always got a book going on. If it's not an audio book, I'm reading a physical book or I'm reading an ebook on my phone. Um, I'm always reading something. I just love to read. So these sat on my shelf for a very, very long time. But I grew up with the movies. I, I watched The Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, blown away, absolutely enraptured with, with this world. I watched Prince Caspian, again, enraptured, loved it. By the time we got to The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, I still loved it. But as the characters in that in that film, um, what tends to happen with Narnia is the fact that you tend to grow up. And when you grow up, it's you get to the age, if you watch Bedknobs and Broomsticks, you, you, you'd be quite um, uh, familiar with this quote. But it's the age of not believing that everybody gets to a certain age in their life where you stop believing, that you stop believing in Santa. Even though Santa does exist, and I know he exists, I've seen him, um, you know, you stop, you stop believing in fairies, you stop believing in the, in, in the two fairies, you stop believing in dragons and in, you know, really fanciful, amazing, wonderful things. You stop believing in it. And you don't even know you're doing it. You just one day you wake up and you no longer believe in these things. And it's a shame. It's an absolute crying shame, but that's kind of, you know, what happens that's the whole point of growing up and that's the kind of idea of narnia is the fact of you know even though you've been there you've met aslan you've experienced it you know you, you've lived you, you've gone on adventures it's still the fact of you, you, your time's ended you know you've, you've grown up now it's time to time to move on it's time to to go on the next adventure the adventure of being an adult you know uh, narnia is for the young which it isn't really if you read the books the the books you know are written for you know if you could say they're written for children, but the same stage is that, you know, all people of all ages can enjoy this world. I do. At 24, I still love this world. You know, I, I surround myself by readers. And when you surround yourself by readers, the, you always tend to have the same sort of conversations. And the one sort of conversation that comes up all the time is the fact of if you could go to any, all the books you've read, if you could go to any world for a day or a week, or you'd have to stay there forever, you'd have to leave this world and live there for the rest of your life, where would you go? And a lot of people say, you know, the common things, people want to go to space, people want to go to Lord the Rings, to Middle Earth, which I'd like to go there as well. You know, or people want to go like 20,000 leagues into the sea with Captain Nemo, you know, explore Atlantis, explore the deep oceans. You know, there's, there's many places that people come up with. But for me... Of all the books I've read, again, I've read 800 plus books. I'm close to 900, right? Of all the books I've read, um, I always come back to Narnia. I don't even think about it. Whenever that question is asked, straight away, I just say Narnia. Narnia at Christmas. You know, Narnia, the Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe, minus the White Witch. I don't want the White Witch to be there when I'm there because I'm a child, I'm a child of Adam and I'm on a hit list and she'll try to kill me. So I don't want to be there when she's there. But I'd like to go to Narnia at Christmas. I'd like to go see the, the, the lamp surrounded by snow and meet Mr. Tomnus. And I'd like to go meet Prince Caspian and go on adventures in the Dawn Trader. And I'd like to meet the horse and, horse and his boy and the talking horse. And, you know, I'd like. there's so many things that I'd like to do. I'd like to I'd like to visit the wood between the worlds and see all the other different dimensions. You know, like this series goes a lot deeper than what people think. And that one of my my, my not just my loves of this world, but also what I'm going to try and do my best in this episode and the rest of this month is try to convey to you. Because I know majority of the people that listen to this are adults. Right. Some of you are readers. Some of you are not. But my main goal of this is to try to make you understand that the Chronicles of Narnia it's not for kids. It goes a lot deeper. And 
The only reason it feels like it's for kids is because most people's interpretations of what Chronicles of Narnia is, is the Disney-fied version of Narnia. It's the Disney version of the Lion Witch of the Wardrobe, or the Prince Caspian, or the Dawn Trader. When actually, they've completely missed out, you know, the dimensions, the, the dimension hopping of the magician's nephew. The, the really close connection between the horse and the boy, you know, um, the silver chair, the last battle, you know, the silver chair where um, Prince Caspian is now an adult and he gets kidnapped by, I think he gets kidnapped up like a giant or like a goblin and then he's underground. Um, and then you've got the last battle, which is complete trash. But even again, to be honest, that the last book was terrible. But again, we'll get there eventually. But again, my main point is to, is to kind of convey that this series is as deep as Lord of the Rings. This series is as deep as, as more deep than what Disney made it out to be, right? And that's going to be my main goal, not just with this episode, but with the coming episodes. Um, even though I'm going to be reviewing the movies as well, which are Disney-fied, I'm going to try and sort of tell you the the ins and outs and kind of my experience of reading the books and so on and so forth. So that's my main plan there. But we'll get to the movies and so on and so when we when we get there. But um, for now, we're going to be talking about the books. Now, the way this is going to go is that I'm going to talk about each book individually. I'm not going to spend ages on it because I could do an episode by episode on each book. But there's seven books in this series. And sadly, there's not seven weeks in December. Right. So I haven't got time to do that. So and I want to get this all done within Christmas time because obviously Narnia, it's a very Christmassy sort of uh, topic. Also, the fact of that gives me time then in January to take some time off um, for myself a little bit to kind of get things ready, but also kind of write my book that I'm writing, which I've sadly neglected for a long time. Um, and then come back whenever you know my anniversary is and then start season two and we'll go from there. But in, But, you know, that's in the future. That's not now. For now, the idea is that I'm going to talk about each book individually. I'm going to give you a rough description of, of the blurb and kind of tell you my experience with them. I'm going to read you a passage from each book of my favorite passages. And um, yeah, and that's just how it's going to work. So um, hopefully you'd be interested in, for my introduction, you'd be hopefully you'd be interested in um, joining me on this venture, joining me on this journey. Um, it's going to be a really fun one. Um, so yeah, I think it's about time that I would shut up now. And let's take adventure into the wardrobe, shall we? Into Narnia. All right, guys, let's get into Narnia, shall we? So, on to book one, The Magician's Nephew. Now, I know I can already hear you, because there's potentiality that there's some diehard... Um, Chronicles of Narnia fans here, and they're going to screaming down at, at the phones or their speakers or cars, radios, whatever they're listening to, say, "No, you don't start with the, the magician's nephew. That's not the first book. That's not the chronicle book." I know, I get it. I'm just going to explain how they're set out because basically, what came first was *The Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe*, right? But as C.S. Lewis started to write his his trilogy, he would write prequels in between. Uh, so the first book he wrote was The Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe. And then later on, he wrote the, the Magician's Nephew and he wrote The Silver Chair in The Last Battle and The Horse and the Boy and so on and so forth. Um, but chronologically, you know, when you set them in how the story is actually chronologically set out, it is it does. They do start with The Magician's Nephew. So I understand that there are some diehard fans who've gone, no, you shouldn't start with that one. But in all honesty, 
and I'm, I'm going to put my hand up here, and I'm going to be a bit honest, I'm going to have a bit of a pushback here, that I didn't know this when I first started this series. When I first got the box set, I just went by numbers. So again, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. And at number one was The Magician's Nephew. I wasn't to know that this wasn't the first book in the series. I just assumed that Disney had jumped ahead and, and just decided just to do Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe because... You know, it was it was a well, it was more well known, uh, but it was more an easier story to adapt, that sort of thing. But also, like the BBC did a run of the Lion Witch of the Wardrobe. I think it was like a TV movie back in the seventies or eighties, which I have seen. But we do have it on DVD, but I can't remember where it is. But that was that's a very kind of very interesting take on the story. Um, so I know there are going to be a lot of fans out there who say no, but I read the series as you know. The Magician's Nephew, Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, The Horse and the Boy, Prince Caspian, Voyager, the Dawn Trader, The Silver Chair, then The Last Battle. That's how I read them. And I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel confused. If anything, I just, I saw the the birth of Narnia and I saw the end of Narnia. You know what I mean? And I saw it properly. Instead of jumping around and reading books where, you know, where they were sort of publication, not chronological, you know, I was I wasn't confused and I still enjoyed my time and I think you would still enjoy your time as well if you read them how I'm going to basically lay them out now. So I just wanted to clear that up for any sort of diehard fans currently screaming into the ether. I can I can hear you and I understand where you're coming from but at the same stage book 1 to me as how as I read them starts with the magician's nephew and that's just the way it is. It's my podcast. Simple. Uh anyway, so Book one is The Magician's Nephew. Um, let me read you from the back of the blurb. It goes, The Magician's Nephew. The adventure begins. On a daring quest to save a life, two friends are hurled into another world where an evil sorceress seeks to enslave them, but then the Lion Aslan song waves itself into the fabric of a new land, a land that will be known as Narnia. And in Narnia, all things are possible. Book one of seven in the classic series by C.S. Lewis. This book, like I mentioned, I know a lot of people, they, they read it later on, they don't read it at the beginning, but I would say this is a good introduction to Narnia. The reason I say that is because it's in this book that you meet Jadis. Jadis is the name of the character who will later become the White Witch. Um, and I will get into that in a, in a minute, but you meet Jadis, you meet Aslan for the first time, you actually get to, before you actually even meet Aslan, you get to actually see the creation of Narnia. You actually get to experience how Narnia was created. You also get an understanding of the old, in Lion Witch of the Wardrobe, there's an old man, because obviously Lion Witch of the Wardrobe is set during the Blitz, set during World War II, and the Percival uh, children are sent to this man's house to basically stay there from the bombs from that hit in London. And it turns out that that old man is the little boy in this book. And that him and his best friend, whose name I'm, uh, who's Diggory, Diggory, and the girl's name is oh god, see, it's, that's been long. It's been since I've read this book. Uh, actually, I'm currently, I'm currently flicking through the the pages. Ah, Polly, Diggory, and Polly. Uh, the little boy Diggory, um, gets hold of a magic ring but basically his i think it's his uncle has a magic ring and he's, he's old magic old fairy magic and basically um t- 
test this ring out on, on the boy and Polly. Now, the, the way these rings work is that if you touch this ring, it will take you to the Wood Between Worlds. And the Wood Between Worlds is... Um, the best way I can explain it is if get if you, if you have an option, if you have the ability, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you have the ability, right, get yourself a piece of paper. Doesn't matter how big it is, a pen or pencil would do. Um, and draw exactly what I tell you to draw. Right? I'm going to draw it as well at the same time with you. All right. So in the middle of this piece of paper, I want you to draw a straight line. Right. Then underneath that, underneath that line, I want you to draw three circles. So start on the far edge of the line, draw a, a third circle there. Make sure the top of that circle is touching the bottom of the line. And then the middle circle, again, make sure that is touching the, the circle that's on your left or the right wherever you decide you started and then the final circle again making sure each one of them is touching the line and then touching each other there's no overlap just make sure they're touching right now above that line i want you to draw an upside down v a mountain right now what you should have in front of you is a line a mountain and three balls underneath right this is how i i try my best to kind of explain it to you right so that line in the middle is the wood between worlds it is the bridge to it's kind of the multiverse it's the bridge to other universes it's the bri bridge to other worlds it's the bridge to other different dimensions right and then above the woods the mountain is aslan country it's where aslan comes from it's aslan's homeland you know it, or you can call it heaven if you want to but that's aslan country underneath the balls are representation of the different dimensions because the way that cs lewis used a way to explain this was used of a form of a wood and the wood between worlds if you was to look at it it would look like a marshland you know every few meters there are circle there are little pools of water each one of those pools of water will if you if you got into it would take you to another world would take you to another universe um and this is kind of how the story goes on um and within doing so they ended up meeting uh, when they touch this ring, because it has fairy magic, it has the ability to take them to this location. And Polly and Diggory go there and they end up falling into um, a portal and they find themselves in a world that has... This is where it gets a bit fantasy. Again, it goes quite deep. They find themselves in a world that has been destroyed. All life is has, has, has been killed and, and they walk around it, it it's like walking around on mars you know it's it's just desolate it's completely barren and they find their way to a ruined city and as they explore this city they find uh, this castle and in this castle there is t loads of people just set in stone and at the very end is i think if i remember correctly i think it's a bell and there's a lady sitting there and i think it was diggory he rings the bell and it ends up breaking a spell and the woman that's sitting on the chair, she's a giant. She wakes up and um, she basically questions the children. Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you from? And it turns out that um, Jadis, basically, self, through self-infliction, she went to war with her sister. And there, she used magic in her world. Her world was full of magic and there were a lot of magic users. And there was this one magic spell, this one word that if, if uttered would destroy all life in the world. And as she was going, as she was losing the war to her sister, her sister came to her and basically said, you have lost, you know, I am taking over now. This is, you know, my kingdom. 
and Jadis, with a smile on her face, looks at her sister, says the word, and kills everybody. But before she does that, she does an enchantment on herself, where she freezes herself in time, so that she um, isn't affected by the spell. So she, she utters the words, everybody dies, she sits down, she freezes in time, and it's the bell, once rung, because then again, it's... There are some sort of conflictions, the fact of, well, if everybody's dead in her world, in her universe, who would ever ring her bell to wake her up? I guess there is a bit of conflictions there. But the fantasy side of behind it is that, you know, you could you could at least break it down being, say, she always knew that somebody would come eventually and wake her up. But again, this is the White Witch we're talking about. This is Jadis. You know, she might be a queen, but she's still a child. Um, she's very childish. And basically, she... The, the children try to escape from her, try to leave from her, but she ends up holding on to them and getting pulled into the wood between worlds. And then she gets pulled as they try to escape because they were worried that how they would find their way back home. So what they decided to do is that they decided to pull up some turf next to the pool that they, you know, was their home, is that it was where they climbed out of, is where, how to get back to Earth, how to get back to our universe. Um, they ended up leading Jadis back to Earth. When she gets to Earth, she realises that Earth isn't like her planet and that even though she's a giant, magic doesn't work here. Magic, sadly, doesn't apply to Earth, apply to our universe. So she tries to utter the words and it doesn't work. People aren't dying, people aren't falling. She, magic is not working. And Diggory and Polly um, basically find... I won't there is there is a bit of a bit more story to it, but um, they ended up finding their way into this world that is um, barren. It, it's blank. It's it's just like a a blank world. It's just a void. You know, there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, out of out of the view, things start to grow. A sunset starts to come over. A big white a big lion is seen, and he he breathes air into the world. And plants and trees and forests and animals start to appear and he, uh, he he brings gifts, it, and then once the land is done, Jadis tries to attack him, but it doesn't work. And that the pole that because she, she holds a pole from a an old fashioned lamp, and that lamp breaks off, and all that's left is a handle, and the handle buries itself into the ground, and like a tree, grows a lamp, and forever burning will be known as this will be known as the land of the lamp, and this is where the beginning of Narnia started. And from there, he, he bestows life and gifts onto... Because uh, Jadis, uh, the White Witch, she was riding a horse when she entered Narnia for the first time. And this horse that she brought back from Earth, who was just a carriage horse, basically is given the, the gift of life, but also given the, the gift of wings, so that he can now talk, he can now communicate, speak English, as you say, and fly. So he's now free from his bonds of servitude. He is now free to to um, live, really. And um, the the if I remember correctly, um, there was a man and a woman. I think they they become the first man, Adam and Eve. They become the first ch um, life, uh, human life in in Narnia, and all the other animals are um, free to do this land and. 
the story goes on like that's the basic there's there's more to it about you know jadis eating up eat, going into aslan's garden and eating the apples again the apple of eden and all that and her being infected by it firstly being corrupted by the apple and that the apple was actually meant for somebody else and that if taken um if only if you only take one and that um, if you are get permission from Aslan, if you enter the gates, if you, instead of climbing over the walls of the gates, if you enter Aslan's garden through the front gate and you only take one and you're not greedy, then the apple will work. The apple will give you rejuvenated life, will bring you back from the, from death. But if you climb over the wall like Jadis did and you eat from eat the fruit from the trees, you will never crave food again you'll never want for nothing again you'll always be cursed kind of a harry potter with if you ever killed a unicorn and drunk its blood that you would you'd, you'd live a cursed life you know you'd live forever but like you wouldn't be living it would just be existing it'd just be horrible um you know so th there is there is a bit more to the the magician's nephew but for me, reading that book for the first time, it really showed me that this series is a lot deeper than I thought. The whole sort of multi-diverse, multiverse, multi-dimensions, and that there's loads of different worlds out there. You know, you have to think of it, the wood between the worlds, as a giant marshland. That's the best how I imagined it, would be trees everywhere that are drinking this life force out of these pools who are growing from it. But the wood between worlds is not a place for, for life. It's not a place for people for for anything to live the wood between the wood between worlds is it's like a nexus point it, it's a point between aslan's country and all the other different realities different worlds different dimensions and that it's not for for living because when you're there you have the sense of confusion of loss of um a sense of 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 not being that even though it's amazing to be there you're not meant to be there you're not meant to exist there because it's not part of anything it's 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 there but it isn't there again it's very high science fiction it's very art very weird but it's one of those where it's like you're there but you're not meant to be there you're meant to be in one of those pools and that there's so many pools there's a, the the world is an ever ever infinite wood of pools because there's ever different possible endless possibilities of dimensions and universes and so on if you've watched dr strange multiverse madness you know you'll understand it there but that's the kind of the way it works and this was being done years and decades ago before it was really sort of considered as a as a scientific thing now it was just seen as as a conceptual thing um and for me it, reading this book for the first time it opened my eyes to not just the characters and the world that C.S. Lewis is trying to create here, but I got to see the creation of Narnia. I got to meet Aslan for the first time, and I actually felt like he was talking to me. As he was talking to Diggory and Polly, I felt like he was talking to me as well. Like I was part of this journey. I was a part of Narnia's creation. I got to see Narnia be formed, be created. Be created. So when I actually went to Line of the Witch of the Wardrobe, I knew where I was. It felt so familiar because I'd already been there. You know, time had my time had passed, and tons of things had happened by by that time. But for me, it was just mere moments. You know, it it, it made the world feel real. It made me feel like I was like I was a time traveler. How I was there at the beginning, and for the rest of the world, when I left, it was hundreds of years, centuries had passed. But for me, it was only a moment. So when I jump into line, which is the wardrobe. It's like wearing a, a pair of, you know, a, a, an old coat or a pair of old shoes. It's very familiar. It's very homely. 
you know what I mean? It felt very sane. It felt comfortable. It felt like home, you know? And I think that is, um, is a very beautiful feeling. Now, I'm going to read you one of my favourite passages. Um, I did look into it. Um, legally, I'm not allowed to sit and read the whole book because it's still it's not under it's not in public domain and that the way these books are uh, the one story wise is the fact that they're still owned by the c.s lewis estate meaning that i can't one for one read the whole book to you i would do i was actually thinking about it i did look into it um but that's not something that i can do legally but what i can do is i can read passages and quote um and quotes and stuff like that so i am allowed to do that um, because a lot of people said to me, Luke, you've got a very soothing voice. You'd be really good as, a, as to read an audio books. I had thought about it and I might look into it next year. But for now, we're just going to have to deal with me reading passages from the book. So before I start, I want to do a quick chug of water mm -hmm. to really sort of cleanse the palate. Right. So chapter three, the wood between the worlds. Uncle Andrew and his study vanished instantly. Then, for a moment, everything became muddled. The next thing Diggory knew was that there was a soft green light coming down on him from above, and darkness below. He didn't seem to be standing on anything, or sitting, or lying. Nothing appeared to be touching him. I believe I'm in water, said Diggory, or under water. This frightened him for a second, but almost at once he could feel that he was rushing upwards. Then his head suddenly came out into the air and he found himself scrambling ashore out onto the smooth grassy ground at the edge of a pool. As he rose to his feet, he noticed that he was neither dripping nor panting for breath as anyone would expect after being underwater. His clothes were perfectly dry. He was standing by the edge of a small pool, not more then ten feet from side to side, in a wood, the trees grew close together and were so leafy that he could get no glimpse of the sky. All the light was green light that came through the leaves, but there must have been a very strong sun overhead, for this green daylight was bright and warm. It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. There were no birds, no insects, no animals, and no wind. You could almost feel the trees growing. The pool had just had just got out of was not the only pool. There were dozens of others, a pool every few yards as far as his eyes could reach. You could almost feel the trees drinking the water up from their roots. This wood was very much alive. When he tried to describe it afterwards, Diggory always said it was a rich place, as rich as a plum cake. And that is one of my favourite passages from this book because it just gives you the... Um, real sort of introduction that this is more than what you were more that you bargained for you know that he is somewhere where he shouldn't be that it feels weird that he was he surrounded like he was submerged in water but he wasn't drowning he wasn't wet he'd basically teleported he'd traveled from one universe to another um using these magic rings and i just feel like it was it's just a really good introduction to narnia now again as I mentioned at the beginning, I understand there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of really hardcore fans who think, no, this is not where you start. You start lying with the wardrobe. I understand that. But trust me, if you start with the magician's nephew, like me, you'll get an understanding of not just Aslan, not just of Narnia, or even of the White Witch. You just get an understanding that this world, and not just, not just this world, but the universe and tons of universes are ever existence ever present and that narnia is 
just one of those worlds, one of many worlds. Maybe if you look into one of them pools, you could look and find Middle Earth. Or if you look into another one of them pools, you might find, you know, another one of your favourite books or one of your favourite movies or, or games or whatever. These are all different realities. These are all different possibilities. Um, it just explores the idea of who Aslan is, who Narnia is, and, and what C.S. Lewis was trying to convey in his books. Um, and again, you can't beat being there at the creation of everything. If once you see everything be created, it hurts more when you get to see it all end at the at, at the very last book. But we'll get to the last book when we get there. Um, but for now, that was The Magician's Nephew. So on to the next one, which is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. So, time for book two, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. On the back it says, they open a door and enter a magical world. Four adventurers step through a wardrobe door and into the land of Narnia, a world enslaved by the power of the White Witch with almost all hope is lost. The return of the great lion, Aslan, signals a great change and a great sacrifice. Doesn't that just get you interesting? Don't that just pull you in? to the story you know the story of the Percival children Peter Susan Edmund and Lucy so I told you I knew the other one I didn't just like you know quickly write it down so I'd remember um but the Percival children two sons of Adam two daughters of Eve um everybody knows the story of the Lion Witch of the Wardrobe if you haven't watched the Disney movie you're most likely somewhat familiar with if you're a, if you're a lot older older bean then you might be original uh, familiar with the original uh, BBC TV movie uh, that came out, I think, the 70s or 80s. Um, but if you're a young being like me, you probably grew up with the Disney versions of the films. So everybody knows The Lion Witch of the Wardrobe. But to give you a, a basic sort of um, introduction to the story, um, the Percival children, Lucy, Susan, Peter and Edmund, um, they live in London during the Blitz during World War II. They are shipped off to the countryside where it's safe, away from the bombs. Before playing a game of hide-and-seek, Lucy finds herself uh, going into an empty room just full of a wardrobe. She goes inside the wardrobe, and next thing you know, she's inside um, Narnia, where she meets uh, Mr. Tomless. Uh, Edmund goes there as well after Lucy does. He ends up meeting the White Witch. Uh, and then all the other personal children get there, find out that, there are, that they are two sons of Adam, two daughters of Eve, and that they must help save... Um, the world of Narnia um, from the White Witch because there was a prophecy made that two daughters of Eve and two sons of Adam will return to the world of Narnia and will um, basically reclaim it for Aslan. So the White Witch has been fearful of this forever that if anybody ever meets a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve to uh, let her know straight away so that she can deal with them and basically kill them, get rid of them so that she won't be overthrown. Um, Obviously, the White Witch, if you've read The the Magician's Nephew, you know who the White Witch is. The White Witch is Jadis, and that um, she has basically learned the magic of Narnia, where she basically, the magic from her world didn't work. Uh, her magic of her world only works where she's from, her world, and that Narnia is, is new, but she's had enough time to learn the magic of Narnia and how to change the weather and basically have a continuous 100 years uh, winter, no Christmas, 
which is so bad. Like, you know, no Christmas, no Santa. Even Santa's not even allowed in Narnia because he's not allowed to come in and spread his love and joy um, with everybody else and his gifts and all that jazz. She's banned him, so he's not even allowed in Narnia, which is absolute criminal, if you ask me, letting Santa in, because we all know Santa's real, and this proves it. Um, but that being said, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the line which the wardrobe it's a fantastic book, you know. It end, it has so many different messages in it. You know, it, it it you have the battle at the end, which is a fantastic thing, which really really well done in the movies. Which I can't wait to get around to the films because that's going to be a fun part to talk about. Um, but the Lion Witch of the Wardrobe, I understand why a lot of people start with it. Again, Magician's Nephew, it came a lot lot later, yeah, publication wise, when it was written. The first book was The Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe. That was the first Narnia book written, so that you wasn't to know who the White Witch was. The White Witch was just a new sort of entity, a new character, a new player has entered the game, that sort of thing. Um, but obviously, if you read The Magician's Nephew, you know who she is, you know what she's capable of, you know how dangerous she is. And this is why I say that you should start with The Magician's Nephew, because it helps as you go on with the series to really get a, a, an idea of where the world is, what the feeling of how it feels and also how the people of Narnia have changed. You know, they're, they're, again, because you, you might be gone for, you know, a couple of minutes or a day or two or, or whatever, and however long it takes you to get from one book to the next. But for the Narnians, it's hundreds of thousands of years at times. You know, time passes them very, very quickly. And it, it kind of shows you, again, that sort of how time passes, where you put a book down. And the reason books are heavy is because they hold worlds inside them. And the heavier book, the more heavier the world is. Granted, that doesn't really work much for the Chronicles of Narnia because the books are only short and they're not that heavy. But if you put them all into a giant, um, a giant omnibus, a giant tome of a book, then... Um, it'd be pretty heavy because that world is just jam-packed and huge. But it just shows the passage of time. But it's a wonderful Christmas book. I would say it's a good book to read at Christmas, um, definitely. Not just for the whole long 100 years winter when you, you do get to meet Santa. But generally, I just think it, it's, it's a lovely book. And obviously, you get to meet Aslan properly. You get to have a proper um, talk with Aslan. You know, you get to learn as Aslan is kind of... You kind of learn at this point on, you, as the books go on, you, you learn that Aslan isn't good or bad. That Aslan means well, but he's not a, a, a good person and he's not a bad person. He's he's good neutral, you know what I mean? He, he the, they, them. Aslan is, is not a person or thing. You know, he's not even a lion. He's just perceived as a lion. Aslan is is a very Aslan's a concept. Kind of, again, you can kind of see the Christianity roots in the whole sign of story that you know the whole sort of Aslan is God that sort of thing that you know he's ever present, he's ever there, ever watching. They're ever watching. They're always there. But you know that if you when you need them, when you need Aslan, they will be there to help you. Um, but it, it, sometimes it's down for you having to figure out for yourself. Like he won't give you the answer. Sometimes you know you know what the answer is. You just kind of figure it out for yourself um obviously i won't get into the religious side of, of nine of chronicles nine because again that'd be its own sort of book in its own um but i'm going to read you some sections some passages two passages um from this book that i really really like the first passage is going to be when lucy first experiences narnia when she first walks into narnia so it goes something like this it goes the next moment 
She found, a, she found that what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. Why is it that just like branches of trees? exclaimed Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away, where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off, something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at night time, with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. She looked back over her shoulder and there, between the dark trees, tree trunks, she could still see the open doorway of the wardrobe and even catch a glimpse of the empty room from which she had set out. She had, of course, left the door open, for she knew that it is a very silly thing to shut oneself into a wardrobe. It seemed to be still daylight there. I can always get back if anything goes wrong, thought Lucy. She began to walk forward, crunch, crunch, over the snow and through the wood, towards the towards the other light. In about ten minutes she reached it and found it was a lamppost. As she stood looking at it, wondering why there was a lamppost in the middle of a wood, and wondering what to do next, she heard a pitter-patter of feet coming towards her, and soon after that a very strange person stepped out from among the trees into the light of the lamppost. He was only a little taller than Lucy herself, and he carried over his head an umbrella, white with snow. From the waist upwards he was like a man, but his legs were shaped like a goat. The hair on them were glossy black, and instead of feet he had goat's foot hoofs. He also had a tail, but Lucy did not notice this at first, because it was neatly caught up over the arm that held the umbrella so as to keep it from tailing in the snow. He had a red woollen muff muffler around his neck and his skin was rather reddish too. He had a strange but pleasant little face with a short pointed beard and curly hair and out of the hair there stuck two horns and one on each side of his forehead. One of his hands, as I had said, held the umbrella in the other hand. He carried several brown paper parcels with uh, what with the parcels and the snow, it looked just as if he had been doing his Christmas shopping. He was a fawn, and when he saw Lucy, he gave such a start of surprise that he dropped all of his parcels. Goodness gracious me! exclaimed the thorn. So that was the first introduction to meeting Tomless. That's the first introduction of Lucy's introduction to the world of Narnia, to being, I think, in the books, it doesn't convey it so well. It's not until you watch the, the first movie, uh, the Disney movie, that you actually really understand the the feeling of a child. Because I'm I'll mention it when I, when I get around to reviewing the film. But I, I, I do want to mention it here. When they filmed that scene in the, in the film, they didn't show the little girl the set. They didn't show anything. None of that. Generally, it, they left it a complete surprise to her. So that when she turned around, she looked around the genuine the genuine real expression she has on her face is a real genuine expression of amazement of wonder that childlike sort of like again wonder but disbelief of like oh, this is real this is it's all looks amazing looks incredible you you can't get a shot like that you can't get an emo a true emotion like that unless it's real and so that's a little bit of trivia for you that they didn't show the little girl the room when they um when they uh opened it when when they when you first see it, when you first see it she first sees it and that's something that the book doesn't doesn't convey but i love that that passage because 
it really starts to give you again if you haven't read the magician's nephew you, you you're not to know this world this land is new to you you and you instantly feel like you're no longer in kansas anymore you know what i mean you're no longer in our world that instantly in a flick of a a few words you are now transported to another world another dimension a world of snow and lampposts and woods and thorns and magic and that you know that what's happening what, what's going to happen next is going to be absolutely wonderful and i feel like for me um that's what i love so much about that passage what i love so much about this book is that it's just the wonder how when you first come into narnia you don't know anything it's just a, a magical world of snow and as a kid, that must have, would be would feel so, oh, I want to say awe inspiring, but just wonderful, just to experience it, you know. The second passage I'm going to read is chapter two. It's only going to be a bit because it goes on for quite a bit, and I don't want to sort of read too much and get in trouble. Which chapter two? What Lucy found there. Good evening, said Lucy. But the fawn was so busy picking up its parcels that at first it did not reply. When it had finished, it made her a little bow. Good evening, good evening, said the thorn. Uh, excuse me, I don't want to be inquisitive, but should I be right in thinking that you are a daughter of Eve? My name's Lucy, she said, not quite understanding him. But you are, forgive me, you are what they call a girl, said the thorn. Of course I am, said Lucy. You are, in fact, human. Of course I'm human, said Lucy, still a little puzzled. To be sure, to be sure, said the thorn. How stupid of me, but I've never seen a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve before. I am delighted. This is to say, and then it stopped as if it had been going to say something and it had not intended, but had remembered in time. Delighted, delighted. It went on. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tomnus. I am very pleased to meet you, Mr. Tomnus, said Lucy. And I, and may I ask, oh, Lucy, daughter of Eve, said Mr. Tomnus, how have you come into Narnia? Narnia? What's that? said Lucy. This is the land of Narnia, said the thorn, where we are now. All that lies between the lamppost and the great castle of Carpervel on the eastern sea. And you, you have come from the wild woods of the west? I, I got in through the wardrobe in the spare room, said Lucy. Ah, said Mr. Thomas in a rather melancholy voice. If only I worked harder at geography. When I was a little thorn, I should no doubt know all about these strange countries. It is too late now. But they aren't countries at all, said Lucy, almost laughing. It's only just back there. At least, I'm not sure. It is summer there. Meanwhile, said Mr. Tomless, it is winter in Narnia and has been for ever so long. And we shall both catch cold if we stand here talking in the snow. Daughter of Eve, from the far land of Spare Oom, with eternal summer rains around the bright city of Wardrobe. How would it be if you came and had tea with me? Thank you very much, Mr. Tomlin, said Lucy. But I was wondering whether I ought to be getting back. It's only just around the corner, said the thorn, and there'll be a roaring fire and toast and sardines and cake. Well, it's very kind of you, said Lucy, but I shan't be able to stay long. If you would take my arm, daughter of Eve, said Mr. Tomless, I shall be able to hold the umbrella over both of us. That's the way. Now, off we go. And so Lucy found herself walking with... Wood, well, walking through the wood, arm in arm, with this strange creature, as if they had known one another all their lives. 
that's your first introduction to Mr. Tomlis. I and mean, it's also your first sort of introduction to the whole idea of a daughter of Eve, uh, the son of Adam and what that is to mean and that how the world works and how this is the great lamppost. And the, the sort of what, obviously you don't know why it's great, but you just know this is the great lamppost. And you knew that something that was weird and odd and different. Like, why is there a lamppost in the middle of of a, a wood? But it's the great lamppost. There's obviously something uh, is behind this. There is a story that I need to figure out. Again, you figure out why it's called the great lamppost in uh, The Magician's Nephew. Whereas in this book, you want, you wouldn't be to know again. It's very much the fact of, I do, I am very gripey, the fact that people don't class The Magician's Nephew as the beginning. I do. And I think it helps you very much understand the world and where you are. But I understand where people are coming from as well, being like, no, this is the first book that was published. That's why it sh- that's how you should write, read it. I understand that, but tomato, tomato, you know what I mean? But The Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe is, is definitely an introduction. It, it is, it being the first book in the series, is a very much an introduction to the world of Narnia. And it, as the story goes on, and as the, the characters learn of who they are, you learn at the same time. You learn the whole relevance behind the whole Daughter of Eve, Son of Adam. And it all starts to click there, and that, you know, Peter is to be the next king. And that Peter, as well as being the oldest child, but also being the oldest need to be the protector, is going to be the king. And that Susan, Susan is going to be a queen. So she needs to be, um, again, because she'll be the oldest, she's got to be, again, like she's got to help P- Peter lead to control Edmund and Susan. I mean, Edmund and Lucy, who are very young, especially Lucy. She's very, very young. And of what Edmund learns a, a, a thing, a lesson as well, when he deals with the White Witch, that what he's done is wrong and that he should listen to his, his brother, he should listen to his sister. And that he should be kinder to Lucy. He shouldn't pick on her and make fun of her. Basically, he's the younger, youngest brother, one of the youngest brother, and that he basically wants to be seen. He wants to be heard, um, but he also doesn't. Again, because he's young, he doesn't want to be told what to do. And he quickly learns the fact of when I don't listen to those telling me what to do, I get myself into trouble and I make things worse. And he did, and he caused the death of Aslan for the hands of the White Queen, and. Um, but he redeems himself as the stories, as this, this story goes on, and as the other stories goes on, he does redeem himself and he becomes a, a very good king. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's the Chronicles of Narnia: The Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, the first book, as most people class it, or the second book if you're like me and you class it as chronological, not um, publication. But it's a very good book. Highly recommend it. Um, unto uh, Horse and the Boy, now book three. So on to book three, The Horse and the Boy. Now, this one, I don't remember much about, to be honest. It's not that it wasn't a good story. It was just, the way I like to think of it is that it's a kind of a prequel sequel. Um, the reason being is because this book is set after the events of Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, before Prince Caspian. It's set um, a few years after the events of Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, before that book ends. Basically, before the end of Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But before the end of Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, Lucy, Edmund, Peter and Susan 
grow up and become adults and kings and rulers in Narnia. And then one day they go to go um, hunt a white harp, uh, which is like a deer. And they end up, they find themselves in a part of Narnia they haven't been in a very, very long time. They find themselves at the Great Lamppost and they find themselves near the wardrobe. And they walk for the wardrobe. And as they come out of the wardrobe, they um, find themselves kids again. You know, they find themselves back into their world. And that how many times they try to go back through the wardrobe that their life there is now over. And then they disappear. And then after time passes and the Prince of Caspian starts. The horse and the boy takes place during where the Percival children are ruling over Narnia, where they are the kings and the queens. And that a great war is coming to Narnia, and that a little boy um, named Sasha, I think his name is Sasha and Bree, um, are sent on a quest to go warn the Narnians that this oncoming war is coming. Um, and that if they don't, that this whole land of Narnia will be put into strife again, put into war, and bad things will happen. So the little boy and the horse Bree are sent to kind of get ahead of them and that the story is kind of their story how they travel now i'll be honest i don't know remember much about it um because it's been a while since i've read like this book as i mentioned the reason i don't remember a lot is because it has importance to the story but it's not overly important if you ask me like it's important towards of if you want to know more about um what happened during the reign of the Percival children when they were ruling over Narnia. If you want to know more about that and that time and what it was like, then this book is for you. But if you're just there in terms of the story, then you would obviously you would skip this one and you'd go from Lionwitch of the Wardrobe straight to Prince Caspian, because then Prince Caspian picks up where that book left off and carries on the story. So this is a very middle ground book. This is a very middle book. Um, I have a friend of mine who really, really loves it. Um, actually, I haven't read you the back of the blurb yet, have I? Um, a wild gallop for freedom. On a desperate journey, two runaways meet and join forces. Though they are only looking to escape their harsh lives, they soon find themselves at the centre of a terrible battle. It is a battle that will decide their fate and the fate of Narnia itself. Um, I'm going to read you a passage from this book, because I, I haven't got a lot to say about it. Um, so this one's going to be quite short. Um so this, this is the passage, right? So to give you some context, because it is a middle of, of, a, of a passage. Uh, it's not at the beginning of a chapter like the other two. This one is at, um, at during the middle of, of chapter 10. Um, basically, up until this point, they're traveling along and they see this, this army and they just know that this army is going to beat them to uh, their end goal. So they ain't going to have enough time to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, warn. Narnians that this war this back this army is coming to to battle them um so they so they end up jumping onto Bree yeah some words out um the boy uh and Bree I mean boy's name is Arv Arvis Ar Ar Arvis um jump on jump onto Bree's back and Bree runs and that he gets chased by Aslan because he's not going fast enough and that he was, he was holding back and that Aslan was chasing him and trying to scare him to make him think like run, you know, if you don't get any quicker, you're going to not be there in time and all this would be for naught, for nothing. 
So that's going to give you some context, right? So it goes like this. Come on, Bree, come on, yelled Avaris over his shoulder. The race was very grueling for the horses as they toppled each other's ridge. As they topped, uh, top, topped each ridge, they found another valley and another ridge behind it. And though they knew they were going in more or less the right direction, no one knew how far it was to Avard. From the top of the second ridge, Sasha looked back again. Instead of a dust cloud... Well, out in the desert, he, he now saw a black moving mass, rather like ants, on the far side of the bank of the winding arrow. They were doubtless looking for a ford. They're on the river, he yelled wildly. Quick, quick, yelled a Avaris. We might as well not have been at all if we don't reach Avard in time. Gallop, Bree, gallop. Remember, you're a war horse. It was all Sasha can do to prevent himself from shouting out similar instructions. But he thought, the poor chap's doing all he can already, and he held his tongue, and certainly both horses were doing, if not all they could, all they all they thought they could, which is not quite the same thing. Bria caught up with Hoin, and they thundered side by side over the turf. It didn't look as if Hoin could possibly keep it much keep it up much longer. At that moment everyone's feelings were completely altered by a sound from behind it was not the sound they had been expecting to hear the noise of hoofs and jingling armor mixed perhaps with columnar battle cries yet sasha knew it all at once it was the same snarling roar he had heard that moonlight night when they first met avarice and hugh and brie knew it too his eyes gleamed red and his ears lay flat back on his skull and brie now discovered that he had he not he had not really been do going as fast, not quite as fast as he could. Sasha felt the change at once. Now they were really going all out. In a few seconds, they were all well ahead of Hewin. It's not far, thought Sasha. I did think we'd be, be we'd be safe from lions here. He looked over his shoulder. I think it was all only too clear. A huge, tawny creature, its body low to the ground like a cat, sleeking across the lawn to a tree when a strange dog has got into the garden was behind them and it was near nearer every second and half second he looked forward again and saw something which he did not take in or even think about this way was barred by a smooth green wall about 10 feet high in the middle of the wall there was a gate open in the middle of the gateway stood a tall man dressed down to his bare feet in a robe colored like autumn leaves leaning on a straight staff his beard fell almost to his knees so to give you a bit of context this, to this moment, they're trying to beat this army to the Aru, to the crossing, and that they're not going fast enough. So Aslan appears to basically attack, to, to chase the horses and the boy. Because if I, I just, as I was reading that, I remembered this. There's, at this point in the story, there's two horses, and that you've got Sasha the boy, Bree, and Hoin, H W I N. Hoin. Um, I always struggle when I read when I read out loud. Um, I do apologise. It's my dyslexia. So if any times I make a mistake, it, it, you know that's it. But um, Aslan appears, and again he appears through all these books. But he doesn't. He's. It's what I mean. What Aslan's not neither good nor bad. He is more so just. He is there to help you gain your goal. You know, whether whatever that goal may be. Whereas this one, he needs you to get to that location as fast as, fast as possible to save the day. You're not going fast enough. You're holding back. 
Um, and he, he shows up as a cat, as a lion, to basically attack you, to be like, look, move. You know, I'm going to chase you. I'm going to try and claw at you. I'm going to try to, you know, stab, you know, you know literally de- get my claws into it, eat you. Run. And obviously they don't know it's Aslan. They just think it's a lion. So, of course, they hustle their bustle. And they get there in time and, you know, save the day. But it's one of those sort of things where is Aslan good? Is Aslan bad? And that's the question that I have. And I still have, really, which you get as you read uh, read, read for this trilogy is the fact of the things that there are times with Aslan, you'd say, oh, yeah, Aslan's a good person. Then you'd hear that Aslan isn't good or Aslan doesn't help when he should help or Aslan appears when he's most needed and he's appeared and he doesn't appear when when he's most needed. He, it's like he chooses when he shows up and he chooses when to help. And sometimes he would rather leave you in confusion than help. Because he knows that you'll always figure it out, but you just need to learn that yourself, and it doesn't always feel fair. But again, what is fair? Again, it's these questions that seem to to uh, 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 appear all the time through this series. Um, but that was the horse and the boy. As I mentioned, there's not much to say about it because I don't remember much of the story. Um, but I would say, uh, in terms of the actual story, story, it's more of a sort of um, a, a deep. It's a good story in its own, but in terms of how it links into the rest of the Narnia sort of story. It's more of a kind of continuation um, backstory to what happened in the events when the personal children were ruling Narnia and that you'd, you'd go back to the line which is the wardrobe till the end chapter where they're chasing the, the, the thorn, not thorn, uh, the uh, harp, the um, stag, whatever, through the, um, the woods and they find themselves back to the lamppost and they find themselves back into the real world so that's kind of how it interacts how it's, how it's interwoven there um it's a good book you know if you love horses it's fantastic uh, especially talking horses um but yeah that, that, i don't have much to say about it really so i'm going to move on because i don't want to sit here rambling and trying to find things to say even though i know i don't so on to the next one which is chronicles narnia prince caspian <laughs> Howdy, folks. I know you're probably expecting me to uh, talk about Prince Caspian now, but as I was recording um, all of these different books and putting them into this, I realized that it was going to be a very, very long um, episode. Uh, So I figured I would do. Um, I'm going to be releasing this one sometime this week. Um, So hopefully you'll be listening to this one on the either Thursday or Friday and that the part two will be coming out um saturday sunday depending on what day i decided to release this one at um but yeah i decided to split up into two parts because otherwise we'd be here for ages and this one video would be too long and also i didn't want to leave it as well like do one episode one week and then do an episode another week because that messes up the flow of all the other episodes i've got coming up so it's going to be a two-parter um you just listen to part one hopefully um part two will be out either uh, tomorrow or the day after of you hear of you hearing this for the first time if you listen to this in the future most likely that part two is already out so go listen to that now but if you listen to this in the present time uh part two will be coming very very soon um and yeah i hope to see you in part two i will see you in a minute <music>